You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Well, good morning again. Great to be with you here today as we continue, actually, as we wrap up our series on the book of Ruth today. Some of you can breathe a sigh of relief. Some of you will probably shed some, some tears of, of mourning and take a moment of silence as we, we finish the book of Ruth out today. But um, our text comes from Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's word. Ruth 4, beginning at verse 13 and then closing out the chapter. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work through your word, God, to crack open our hardened hearts. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ruth begins with three funerals, and it ends with a wedding. Quite the turnaround here. I did my undergraduate, part of my undergraduate at Wheaton College, which is a private Christian school out in Illinois. And one of the things about Christian schools is everybody knew, like, there were kind of multiple reasons you were going there. You were going there to to learn and to study in God's Word and all that, but also, you really wanted to find a spouse. Like, let's be honest here. That's a good reason that many of the people were were going there. For me, uh, our school also was rated, it had the highest ratings for uh, the food, too, in the cafeteria, like, of all across the U.S. So, like, that was a huge draw for me as well. But anyway, you would go to college in this Christian school at Wheaton, and the goal was ring by spring, is what they called it. So, by the spring of your senior year... The wedding bells were supposed to ring. You were supposed to have found a spouse at this point. I was unsuccessful in that, fortunately, honey. Uh, 
But at Wheaton, there was uh, an additional component to it. They had a, like the main lecture hall there was called Blanchard Hall. And up in the top of this hall, there was a, a bell tower. And so if you got engaged during the spring at Wheaton, you got to go up there and you would ring the bells. So spring was always a beautiful time of year when you'd hear these bells ringing and you would know that, that a wedding was, was going to, to happen and was coming. There's, there's not a whole lot more beautiful, more wonderful, more joyful than a wedding. So none of you were around for my wedding. I thought I would share a few pictures here. This is our attempt at, at being, I don't know, goofy or silly or something. We had a pretty small wedding party, just my brother and, and Bethany's sister, which was sort of awesome. We didn't have to offend a whole bunch of people by telling them that they can't be in our, our wedding party or something. So, but it was a, a wonderful, it was a wonderful, beautiful day in so many respects, right? You can maybe think back if you've been to a wedding or you think of your own wedding day. You probably, even though that was maybe a long time ago potentially, you remember how the emotions were on that day, right? You remember how you felt. You remember how your, your husband or your wife looked. And you remember some of the looks that they had on, on their faces, looks that you maybe would not see at, at any other time. And for us, this was the case, too. We had all of our friends there. We had family there. We had readings from the scriptures. We, we heard about this beautiful picture that God paints of how the two become one and how marriage is this beautiful picture of, of Christ's love for his church. And then, of course, you, you have the reception afterwards, and there's lots and lots of, of, of food, uh, right? Everybody's got to, we, it's usually catered, and it's, uh, you have cake, and then you you get the, the wonderful privilege of, of shoving cake into your, to your spouse's face, which does not fly, speaking from experience, does not fly at any other time in your life. Uh, to, you can take that to the bank. My one complaint from my wedding day, I didn't get to eat enough cake because I spent so much time talking to everybody else who was there. It's kind of a minor thing, you know, all things considered. But for me, I liked my cake, but I didn't get to eat it because we spent all this time talking to people and... Uh, socializing and everything like that. So a wedding uh, is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And here in the book of Ruth, and as is the case in Scripture as well, we have a wedding at the very end of it. It's interesting that the book of Genesis and the end of Revelation, both of these are book-ended. Uh, the entire Scriptures is book-ended by a wedding. We have Adam and Eve and the wedding feast of the Lamb. So Ruth and Boaz, they get married. And one of the, the beautiful things about the book of Ruth that we've seen here is this theme of reversals. Uh, when you zoom out on the book of Ruth, we, we wrapped up the whole thing this morning. So I want to take us back. Sometimes you get lost and you can't see the forest for the trees. Like, well, let's look at the forest today. And let's remember where we started and where we come, came from and now where we are at the end of this book. And we will see all sorts of reversals, one after the next after the next. First off, there's from death to life. At the very beginning, we had Ruth and, and Naomi, and they were in the land of Moab, and then it was the case that uh, all of their husbands died in this land of Moab. And so we have these really three funerals that happen, and they're left there without their husbands. And now by the end of the book, we have life, right? We have marriage. We have a wedding. We have a, a child being born. Uh, 
We have the move from being a widow to a wife, right? And in that day and age, being a widow meant you could not provide for yourself, really. And, and it, was a, it was a social thing. Like, you could be shunned for not having, uh, for, for not being married. You wouldn't have the means to provide for yourself. Uh, the same is true about uh, the heir. She went from not having an heir, right, to all of a sudden, now we have this, this new little baby sitting on grandma's lap. And what a, what a beautiful picture to go from literally the threat of your family line being extinguished to now God has provided you with an heir through whom the line of the Messiah would come. That's why this book, it ends with a genealogy because Boaz, or Boaz had Obed, Obed had Jesse, Jesse was the father of David. So Obed is, is David's grandpa and then Jesus being the son of David. So we see the line of the Messiah being preserved through this reversal after reversal. Uh, we go from poverty to abundance, right? Ruth and Naomi would not have had the means really to provide for themselves. This is why they were out gleaning in Boaz's field. And yet now they, they find that they are full, that their stores are full, that not only do they have enough food on their plate to get through the day, but they have enough food to keep coming back again and again, and again. God provides not just the bare minimum, but abundantly. We have homelessness, right? They showed up and they didn't have a home. Ruth and Boaz, excuse me, Naomi and Boaz, when they had originally left Bethlehem, had sold this piece of land, the rights of it, the harvest rights to it, so they come back and they don't have a place to, to call their own. They, they don't have a home. But now Boaz provides that home for them. And we look at the person of Ruth specifically. Ruth goes from being a foreigner to being a full-fledged Israelite. Uh, it's interesting to see the progression of this. This doesn't come out in the English, but when you look at some of the, the Hebrew terms, little by little there's a progression from her being the lowest servant to now being essentially a full-fledged Israelite, a member of God's family. As Boaz marries her and she gets incorporated into Israel and having all of the rights of a true son and daughter, being brought from an outsider to an insider. And of course, this theme of vulnerability, Ruth being vulnerable and, and Naomi being vulnerable in so many ways to now finding protection, finding protection in the arms of Boaz who shields them from all harm, who ransoms them, and who becomes their redeemer, right? And this, perhaps, is the biggest reversal of all, is that we go from them having no redeemer to having a redeemer. From having no one to, to stand up for them, to fight for them, to protect them, to pay the ransom price to win them back, to all of a sudden having this redeemer who does pay everything for them. And in Boaz, of course, we see this, this pointing ahead toward Jesus, who ransoms us from the power of sin and death and the devil. So reversal, reversal, reversal is going on all over the place here. But I want you to do an experiment with me for a minute. I want you to imagine in your mind, imagine this story that we've just spent two and a half months in. Hopefully you've got some of the basics in, in your brain at this point. Imagine this story 
again, but this time without the character of Boaz. Everything plays out the same, except when they come back to Bethlehem, there is no Boaz. Imagine how things, how differently things could have turned out had that been the case. When they come back and Probably Ruth and Naomi are still able to survive. They can glean, right? They can get enough for a day or two or a week or whatever. They don't have much in store, probably. They're continually dependent on the generosity of others to provide for their daily needs. They have no way of continually providing for themselves. So there's always this cloud of, of insecurity and doubt and fear and not knowing about where the next meal is coming. And, and they could potentially be exploited out in the field, again, remembering that Ruth was, in fact, a foreigner. So all of these threats continually looming, continually over their heads. And we can imagine how this would play out. People in poverty generally don't tend to live as long, right? Right? Maybe they die at an early age of starvation or sickness or disease or something like that. Naomi's gone. Ruth's gone. No Messiah. No salvation. That's quite a different story, isn't it? It's quite a different way for this whole thing to pan out. I want to share a quote with you from a guy who's an Old Testament scholar, and he, I think, encapsulates this feeling of how differently things could have turned out. He says, without this Moabite girl, Christianity would be without its founder. Israel and the world would be immeasurably poorer. I think that's really true. Life without a redeemer it's not a good thing. And what about you? What about when you reflect on your own life? What would your life be like without a redeemer? Without someone to buy you back, someone to, to rescue you, someone to pay the ransom for you, to redeem you. What would your life be like without that? See, the Bible, the way it describes our condition apart from Jesus Christ is that we are sold, we are slaves. Many of us think we're born into this world kind of morally neutral, and then we just sort of get to make our own decisions here and there, but the reality of what Scripture tells us is that we are born into bondage in this world, which means we are slaves to sin. A lot of times you'll hear from Maybe someone who falls on the spectrum of being a hedonist or someone who, you know, is really just like into living your best life now sort of thing and, and getting all you can out of it, partying and, and everything. And you'll, you'll talk to them and they'll be like, man, I feel so free. But what are they really doing? They're, they're, they're really just slaves to the impulses that are going on in their own hearts and they're following them unchecked. So freedom is just a mask because we are all slaves. The book of Romans talks about this, and it paints this picture of what life would be like without a redeemer. 
And I'm just going to read part of it to you. You can read the rest because it, it goes on to give even more detail. This is Romans 1, 18 through 25. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without Excuse? For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is what life looks like without a Redeemer, is to be sold under the power of sin it is to be given over to our own impulses and our own desires and to not be able to free ourselves from that. But thanks be to God, we have this wonderful promise that we read in the book of Ruth this morning. It's interesting that the women are, are, are an interesting character in this, the end of this story because they actually get to, to name the baby and they give this, this wonderful, encouraging word to Ruth in verse 14, I believe it is. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Friends, God has not left us. This day, this day, March 6th, 2022, without a Redeemer. And you say, okay, sounds good, sounds wonderful. How, how do I know that? How do I know that God has not left me this day, this moment, without a Redeemer? We well, see... The wonderful thing about God, and we were talking about this in confirmation class today, is that God gives us many different ways where he guarantees his presence to be with us. And one of those ways, one of these places where, where heaven kind of touches earth, you could say, is at communion. Communion. We're going to get the chance here in a moment to partake of communion together. And this is one of the places that when we turn to God's word, he makes specific promises to say, yes, I am here for you. I am really and truly present for you to offer these gifts, to, to remind you of the forgiveness of sins that you have in me, that you are free, that, that you are beloved. So with that in mind, I want you to grab your bulletins and turn to the very back, turn to the very back of it. And we're, we're going to talk just a little bit through some of the basics of the Lord's Supper 
As I don't know about you, but you, know, you, you grow up with communion and the Lord's Supper and you grow up doing this or you hear about it and you're like, well, yeah, that's just kind of another thing we do. But what does it mean? What's it for? What is, what is the actual purpose of it? So I kind of have this broken down into you know, a, a few big questions that we ask about communion. First of all, what is communion? Jesus himself answers this question at the Last Supper, speaking these words to his disciples. This is my body given for you, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In communion, we celebrate and receive God's good gifts, forgiveness, a closer relationship with Christ, and strengthening in faith, hope, and love. See, in communion, Jesus is with us. He is really and he is truly present. So what about this next question? Can I take communion? Well, you do not have to be a member of our church to participate or a particular denomination. Communion is intended for those who recognize their own sinfulness and believe in Jesus as their Savior. It is our practice to serve those who have been properly instructed, confirmed, there's no specific verse in the Bible that talks about you must be this old to take communion. I wish there was. Make our lives a lot easier. But good practice just dictates, you know, it's good to have a little bit of an understanding about this if we're going to go forward with it. And we still encourage children to be present to receive a blessing. And also, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, thank you so much for being here. And we, we are so glad. And that is okay. And we want to say that... Uh, if that is you, if that's the case today, just bow your head as the elements, as the, place, as the plates are passed by. There's no need to partake. We're grateful that you're here, though, and we would love to have you still be a part of this. Uh, another big question. Man, I, I asked this question myself many times. What if I feel unworthy? <laughs> Ever asked that question? What if I would like to take communion, but I know that, like, I'm definitely not worthy of taking communion, and I have done any number of things in my past and my present, and probably after I walk out that church door that is going to make that abundantly clear. Well, Scripture does warn against eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and this is why we pause for individual examination and confession, to kind of examine our own hearts and to, to see uh, what's there and to admit what is there to God, to confess, right? We confess our sins. However, a sense of unworthiness is actually good if it leads us to reach out for the worthiness of Jesus. If you recognize your own need for forgiveness, you are welcome at the table. So feeling unworthy is not a disqualifier from communion. In fact, it can be a way that God convicts you and draws you and points you toward Jesus and to reach out to him for his sufficiency, for his worthiness. And if you look at the right side, and just talk a little bit about how it works. So for today, the way that we're doing things, we've done it a few different ways, but for now, we're going to ask you to just remain seated. We're going to distribute the elements by rows. And as you pass the plate to your neighbor, you'll say to them, it's written right here in case you forget, this is the body and blood of Christ given and shed for you. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ given and shed for you. It's a wonderful thing to be able to, to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with 
with those words, to remind ourselves that, that we are not alone, to remind each other that, yes, this, this is for you. This is for you. And then once everyone has been served, we'll eat and drink together. There's something very powerful about the body of Christ being able to eat and drink communion together. And we will be doing that this morning. So as we wrap up our time here today, we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Let's all say this. This was kind of the main tagline for our entire series on Ruth. So I thought it would be a good way for us to conclude together. So please say this with me. This is the, the main point, one take-home thing from our series on Ruth. Please join with me. Vulnerable people can find protection under Yahweh's wings. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K J. O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.